We're wrapping up the Suddenly series, and we only we only getting through about half of Acts, but I think I think we can encapsulate the rest of Acts with what we're going to talk about today. And um, I can't reiterate enough that the gospel does not require peace to go forward. It doesn't require a stable government to move forward. It doesn't require the politics to line up the, the way you like it to move forward. It doesn't require freedom to move forward. All the gospel requires is men and women full of the Holy Spirit. That's all it requires. And it will go forward and farther than you could ever imagine in any circumstance. We're going to talk about that this morning. You ready? All right, stand to your feet. We're going to read the word together. You can see it on the screen or you can go to the Bible app on your phone and find it there. Or if you brought a Bible in the paper version... You can turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 19. We're going to read through 26. Then we're going to skip to Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and read through 13, 3. Are you, are, you, are you okay with that? All right, here we go. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, who spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met together with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Isn't that cool? So move down to Acts chapter 12, we'll start in verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Father, we thank you today. Your word, every time we look into it, has the power to transform us. So we pray it does that. Pray it renews our mind today. We pray that it makes us think different and in turn makes us do different. So we ask God that we wouldn't just be a saved church, that we'd be a sending church. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And we pray he would today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I love making sure we know the backstory to certain, to the, to what we're talking about. Acts chapter 10, you have to go back a chapter to figure out. Uh, First, let me say this. When the, when the day of Pentecost came, it was all Jewish people in the upper room. It was, 
it was interpreted as the Holy Spirit had come to Jews. And, and there's this wrestling match that the Jewish church had with other people outside of the Jewish church being able to accept the gospel. Now, for all of us sitting in here, it was a really good thing. It just didn't stay within the Jewish church. Amen? Because we're not Jewish by descent. Most of us aren't. Maybe some of you are. Me, not a chance. So what happens is, is there becomes this shift in Acts where it shifts away from the Jewish church. Acts chapter 10 starts that. Peter, Peter has a vision. He's up on the rooftop of a house and, and he, the Bible says he goes into like a trance and has a vision. And the vision is, let me preface it by this. How many of you like shellfish in here? Just any shrimp, mussels? Okay, you're not Jewish. Second thing is, uh, how many of you like pork? Pork, yep, you aren't either. You have to remember back in that time, uh, Jews had a very strict dietary uh, governance system and they weren't allowed to eat pork or shellfish, you know, anything that tastes really good. And, um, and so that's the way they'd lived their lives for, for ever. Peter goes up on the, this rooftop, get, goes into what the describes is like a trance and has a vision and he sees all these unclean animals, pigs. He sees all kinds of, just picture all these unclean animals coming down onto a sheet. And he hears the spirit of God saying, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, oh no, I ain't none of that. I never had bacon. I feel bad for him right there. It happens three times. Kind of shakes it off. No, I'm not eating any of that. He happens again. No, I'm not eating any of that. It happens again. No, I'm not eating any of that. At the same time, a man named Cornelius hears from God and says, hey, I want you to send some Peter, send some guys to this house. There's a guy named Peter. I want you to go get him, bring him to your house. So Peter shakes off these visions. He's sitting on the rooftop contemplating what they mean. Can you imagine being a good Jew at that time and thinking, I'm, I'm still not eating pork. I wouldn't do it. He's contemplating what in the world could this mean? And at that time, he hears the spirit of God tell him, hey, there's some people down at the gate, go down there. When he gets down there, they say, hey, we're here to get you. Could you imagine waking up on that day? Goes back to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is not a Jew. He's in the, he's in the Italian regiment. He's, he's a military guy and he's not Jewish. Although he is a... He is a worshiper of the one true God. He is not Jewish. And so everybody in his household is not Jewish. So Peter goes there. He starts telling them about Jesus. And there's an experience there like the day of Pentecost. So the reason that the Jewish church knew that they had received the Holy Spirit is because of what happened on the day of Pentecost. He was fulfilling the prophet Joel. said, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And they spoke in other tongues. And it was this confirmation that they had received the Holy Spirit. Peter is preaching inside Cornelius' house. And before he even has an altar call, before he says, bow your head and close your eyes, before anybody plays anything on the keyboard, Cornelius' house receives the Holy Spirit. And the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost is now happening right in front of Peter to Gentiles. And Peter goes, oh, that's what the vision meant. Peter has to go back and explain himself. To the Jewish church, here's what happened. Now, we pick up chapter 11, 
kind of like the same time, you see the Holy Spirit doing all these things, just crazy things happening. So at the same time, the persecution that came after Stephen was stoned to death at the hand of Saul of Tarsus, by the way, pushed the Jewish church all the way out, as far out as Antioch. So we had talked a couple of weeks ago about how Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. It's far out as Antioch. Antioch is 300 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, I just want to make sure you understand. I know it's vacation season. I know some of you are going to jump in your car, drop 300 miles tomorrow to the beach, and be like, dude, I got 40 miles to the gallon. Good to go. If you didn't have a car, you would not walk 300 miles to the beach. You wouldn't look at your family and say, hey, kids. Mom and dad decided we're going to walk 300 miles to the beach. And I know you're four, but you're going to have to tough it up because if you want to experience anything nice in your life, you're going to have to work for it. You're not doing that. Matter of fact, before there was cars, nobody went on vacation. You just went outside and you, I don't know what you did. None of us know what people did before they had cars. So imagine persecution being bad enough for you to walk 300 miles. 300 miles to end up in Antioch and then be full of the Holy Spirit enough that when you get there, you're not running around Antioch saying, I can't believe how bad I was mistreated. You start sharing the gospel with people. So what happens is now, now the Jewish church is now in Antioch preaching the gospel. But you, you hear at the, at the beginning of what we talked about, it said they preached it only to Jews. A lot of the church was still locked in this mindset. Peter's experience hadn't like filtered throughout the whole church. But there were some Hellenistic people that got preached to as well in the And Luke makes sure he records that. So remember the other week we talked about Hellenistic Jews where they were full of Greek culture. They spoke Greek. They were more Greek than Jewish. And, but they believed in the one true God. So here's what happens. There's now becoming a bridge between the Jewish church and the Gentiles and the people who are not Jewish through these Hellenistic Jews. And so they start preaching to them. Well, guess what? Hellenistic Jews, they speak Greek. So they start preaching to them. And then all of a sudden the Antioch church starts blowing up. Not with strict Jewish people, but with Gentiles. So word gets 300 miles back to Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem church says, man, we better send somebody up there. Keep control of this thing. Well, it gets this church getting sideways. You know, you start a small group in somebody's house and it gets sideways. Anybody ever tried to manage a bunch of franchises? You always got one out there. Won't listen to nothing. So they said, we're going to send Barnabas. Now, if you remember, Barnabas was the guy when the church first started in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that Barnabas was the first guy that recorded that sold a piece of land and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Barnabas is described as a man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. So they sent him 300 miles. I'd have been like, you got anything closer? They send Barnabas 300 miles to Antioch. He gets there and it's exactly the way that they had received word. He's excited. Man, this gospel thing is crazy. Like the name of Jesus is going all over the place. 
So Barnabas gets there, super excited. The problem is Barnabas needs some help. Now, in case you think this timeline is like three weeks from the day of Pentecost, Saul of Tarsus had been persecuting Stephen or standing over Stephen being stoned. The church is scattered. This is a decade after that. They believe Saul had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, spent a couple years around Jerusalem trying to get it all figured out and then leaves and go back to Tarsus. He's there for 10 years. Nobody's talked to him. Biblical scholars believe that he was probably persecuted in his own hometown. That his family probably disowned him, but he never relinquished the gospel. He never relinquished preaching about the gospel and spreading the gospel. His encounter with the, with Jesus on the road to Damascus was so strong, you couldn't strip it from him. And so what happens is Barnabas is in Antioch and Tarsus is only about 83 miles from Antioch. Anybody that doesn't like walking would rather walk 83 miles than 300 miles to get help. Say amen. He runs up to Tarsus. And grabs Saul and brings him back. Now, this is very important because Saul Saul was a trained Pharisee. He was a trained Bible scholar. He was a guy that could take the Old Testament and make it relate to to the coming of Jesus. And so Barnabas went and got Saul and said, hey man, help us teach. And it says they stayed there for a year and taught and taught and taught and taught. And it said the Antioch church blew up. And it was the first place where they called people Christians. Isn't that cool? So what happens in that time frame, in that first year, is there is a famine. There's a prophecy made in the church of Antioch that said there's going to be a famine that spreads out throughout the whole then known Roman world. And, And so it starts to come true. And so what happens is the Antioch church takes up an offering and says, hey, Paul and Barnabas, why don't you take it back to Judea and help those people out with it? And so they do. They collect an offering. They pick Paul and Barnabas to walk another 300 miles. They go back, drop the money off. And it says they come back to Antioch. And when they get back, the church sends them. They don't stay. Now, as a pastor, I'm kind of thinking, that's a pretty sweet gig. You're in Antioch. Everybody likes you. There's no persecution in Antioch. You're collecting enough offering to go give it to other churches. You've got a missions program. You've got a, you've got a, you've got a benevolence program. I mean, they're getting it all done. It's a really cool place to be that like, I'm thinking you can, you can have a whole career there as a pastor. They get back from Jerusalem and the church is like, you guys got to go. And I think you can sum up the rest of the book of Acts with that. The church sent people. Paul takes missionary journey after missionary journey. Some with Barnabas. Some without Barnabas. Some with this guy named John Mark. Some without it. But the rest of the book of Acts is people going. Not staying, going. And there's a couple things I want to point out as we wrap up this sermon series. 
There's a couple things about chapter 11 and chapter, the beginning of chapter 13 that I want to make sure that you get because we are in a circumstance today where, where the Spirit of God is still telling the church to go. Amen? So here's a couple things that are important. The church has to be able to hear the Spirit. The Bible says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now listen, I have had people around me in my life that every time I got around them, they would say, well, God told me. And I would go, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. They said, but they would say every day, every, like, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. I'm like, dude, you're weird. Just weird. Really? You talk to God more. You're, you're, God talks to you more than your wife does. So I do get nervous around people like that, just to be honest with you. I get nervous because I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. But on the flip side, I think God does talk to us. I really do. I really do. I think he's trying to consistently talk to us. There's a couple of parameters that the church was using. It says while they were worshiping the Lord and is it, does anybody remember what that said? There's two things they were doing, worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now some of you just went, no, I'm not coming back. Church keeps coming back. This don't eat thing. I have no idea what not eating has to do with hearing God's voice. I don't either, but it works. The act of denying yourself something that, by the way, if you don't eat for a day, (laughs) you're not going to die. Trust me. Trust me on this. It said they had spiritual disciplines to where they could hear the voice of God. Church, we're, we're in a circumstance today. I told you earlier that it doesn't. The gospel doesn't require peace to move forward. The gospel doesn't require, require a good government to move forward. It doesn't require a harmony to move forward. It doesn't require that, the, that the, the people that you like the most get elected. It doesn't require any of that to move forward. What it does require is that humans hear the voice of God. It does require us being able to hear what God is saying to us in the moment, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of a virus. It doesn't require health to move. It doesn't require any of that. All it requires is for people like you and me who are believers to go, okay, God, what are you asking me to do? Because when you see the New Testament, none of the things that we hold close to us were happening. The government wasn't for the church. In the New Testament, the, 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 the circumstances weren't positive for the church in the New Testament, but it exploded. And the difference was the church could hear the voice of God. So I hear a lot of voices in my head. Anybody else want to just want to get that out on the table today? We could all get a group counseling session later. There's some people in here right now that can help us. I know they're in the room right now and we could just, I hear a lot of voices. You know what I figured out? I, um, my wife would tell you this. I, I follow the news more than a human being should. I'm on Twitter, 
I don't post stuff, but I'm just following the news. I'm checking it all the time. I want to know what's going on. You know, I want to be, I want to be ready. I don't even know what I'm getting ready for. But here's what I find out. I have to navigate the information I get and then try to hear the voice of God through thou that mess. And I'm going to tell you something that's difficult because here's what I found out in scripture. And many of you may already know this in first Kings. He's talking to God is trying to talk to Elijah. First Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind, tore the mountains and broke it into pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. All these things that would shake a mountain that Elijah was standing on would tear the rocks off of it. Would shake the very ground, the wind and the earthquake and even fire. And it says God was not in any of it. You know what? You know what is uh, sometimes amazing in the church? The very way we ask God to speak to us, he doesn't. We say, Lord, show up and do something big. And he's like, I wish you'd be quiet. Man, show up and do something that nobody could deny that you were here. Blow the place up. We did have a power surge about three weeks ago. And it didn't do anything spiritual. It just blew up a bunch of equipment. Still trying to get it fixed. Verse 12, and after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coronavirus mask. (laughs) He thought the Bible wasn't relevant. Says it right there. Went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing? And there's seasons in my life that I can't hear that. What are you doing? Everything is so loud. The news is loud. The virus is loud. The politics are loud. That this is loud. That that's loud. The things we need to get and get done is loud. All this stuff is so loud. Then when he says, what are you doing? I don't hear it. I don't hear it. What are you doing? I don't hear him. And then I run around going, what did he say? What did he say? I don't don't hear him. What is he saying? And the whole time he's going, Hey, what are you doing? So I figured out some disciplines for better hearing. You ready? Going to write these three things down. Disciplines for better hearing. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Who are you competing against? If the pace of life that you keep keeps you from hearing the voice of God, at the end, what's it matter? What does it matter a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Slow down. The second thing is quiet down. As somebody who speaks for a living, God is asking me to be quiet. You do realize that prayer doesn't consist of only you talking. We fill up our whole prayer time with like, oh God, you know, I've been thinking about this. You ever been to a party and the person just won't shut up? 
And you're like, I just want to eat my barbecue, man. I don't know. I don't need to hear all this stuff. I'm really just trying to get away. But you won't shut up. I think that's what God is doing to us sometimes in prayer. He's like, shut up. I'm trying to talk to you, but you never stop talking. Quiet down, slow down, quiet down, and then slim down. Slow down, quiet down, slim down. Fast. That's a lost art in the church today. But the Bible does say Jesus himself said there's some things that only come by prayer and fasting. And so if we want to hear God, if the desire is God, what do you have for my family? What do you have for my job? What do you, what, like, what do you want me to do? How, how do you want me to do this? Then you can't run at a pace where, where, where nobody can he- talk to you and you can't hear any, you can't keep running at this pace and talking so loud and just going and going and going and then expect God just to run up beside you and go, hey man, if you, if you got a second. Slow down, quiet down, slim down. You want to say it with me? We could get a little chant. Sound like a cult. Slow down. There you go. We'll only say it once. It's a live stream. They'll think we're weird. Slow down, quiet down, slim down to hear God's voice. The early church heard the voice of God. You saw one instance where Peter is up on a rooftop, hears the voice of God, where Cornelius hears the voice of God, where people that sent to Peter hear the voice. Everybody is going slow enough and quiet enough to hear the voice of God. 300 miles away from Jerusalem, they're hearing the voice of God. I believe we can hear the voice of God here. That when you go home, When you slow down, quiet down, and slim down, God will. Here's the thing. It's not that God's not talking. If you think all this craziness is going on in the world and he's not saying anything to his church, you're mistaken. He's saying something to the church. We're just not slowing down enough to hear it. It's not that he's not talking. God is always communicating with us. It's that we're drowning him out. So at this time, more than ever, we need to hear the voice of God. Amen? Okay, the second thing, success doesn't always mean succession. I just needed two S's there. Success doesn't always mean succession. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean leadership succession. I think that's a good idea. If you've got a business and you're thinking about rolling out, it'd be good to train somebody up to take that over. Amen? That's the way you do it. What I mean by this is success doesn't always mean succession in the, in, the, in the sense that if it worked today, just automatically thinking it'll work tomorrow. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying there? Because here's what happens. When we take what worked today and we institutionalize it, it becomes a tradition. Anybody ever been in a traditional place where you couldn't change anything if you wanted to? It didn't matter if it worked or not. By the time you got there, it was institutionalized and nobody's touching it. So here's what happens. Success can lead to traditions. Traditions can lead to ineffectiveness and ineffectiveness leads to paralysis. Okay, so I'll just give you a little insight into my um, dietary habits. I've told some of you this before. 
when I was 25 years old, I could eat anything. Anybody remember those days? Anything. I could eat pizza, Lucky Charms. I could eat carbs 24 hours a day, go into the gym for 30 minutes, and muscles just pop out everywhere. If I look at a box of Lucky Charms before I go to bed, now I'm like, oh, I'm getting bloated. I don't understand what's going on. It's just this weird. So what I could have done at 25 is said my success is related to the fact that I'm eating Lucky Charms every night. Yes, Lord, you've created me with a perfect body to process Lucky Charms in a way that benefits me. And so what I could have done is I could have said, hey, listen, I'm going to keep this as a Jones family tradition because obviously it works. We had two or three kids by then already, 25, two kids, two kids. And I could say, hey, listen, when our kids get old enough to eat Lucky Charms, it's the recipe for success. Look at me. And I could have created that as a tradition. But guess what? At 40, I go to the doctor and he's like, uh, You can't eat Lucky Charms at night, Chris. And I went, you're mean, and I'll find another doctor. <laughs> no, he was going, listen, what you created as a tradition is now ineffective. And it's actually hurting you. I have a Lucky Charms t-shirt. <laughs> I actually do. Let me tell you how this works out in the early church. Acts 11, chapter one, or Acts chapter 11, verse one. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, by the way, if you're going to name your movement, anything, do not name it the circumcision party that nobody's joining. Like, Hey, we're having a circumcision party down at the restaurant tomorrow. If you guys want to come, we're going to do some community benefits. I'll explain in a second. You guys stuffy people that don't think the Bible's not funny. It's not the church for you. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, remember when I told you Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he's got to come back and explain himself? If you, were a, if you were a strict Jew, you were circumcised when you were little. Gentiles didn't practice such things. So it became... A demarcation line in the community. I don't know how they told that. I don't know how they, like, hey, I don't think you're circumcised, but why don't you prove it? Um, <laughs> just saying. It's a different age. It was a different age. So watch this. Peter comes back, and tradition got him called out on the carpet, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministered to uncircumcised Gentiles. But when Peter gets back to Jerusalem, they said, how in the world did you eat with them? Because traditionally, that wasn't what you did. So success in the Old Testament got translated into tradition. And tradition was about ready to keep the Holy Spirit from moving. Don't, don't, you can't eat with them. So Peter has to go through this long explanation of saying, hey, I went to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit fell. I don't know. I didn't do it. I saw these visions. The Spirit led me there. The Spirit fell. I didn't have anything to do with it. I just showed up. Don't blast me for eating with uncircumcised. I didn't even ask them if they were uncircumcised. 
Tradition could have kept the church from growing. But the Holy Spirit is a great breaker of tradition. Now, I'm not opposed to tradition. What I found in my life, the older I get, the more I like it. Because I like things to be predictable. I like things to stay that I like to land somewhere and just, I told first service, my wife said it was fine for me to tell us. We live in the same house, 18 years for 15 of those 18 years. The trash can has been in the pantry. Somebody say amen. <laughs> Two years ago, my wife moves it under, under the sink. For the last two years, I've been going to the pantry every morning to throw trash away. I cuss a little bit. Sometimes I think if I just pile the trash up in the pantry, the trash can will just move back there. But what I realized was if I want to be an effective husband, I need to transition the tradition. And start putting trash underneath the sink. Or I could hurt a relationship. I could keep us from growing. I could keep us from ministering. Over something silly. And the church has done this for centuries. Where the Holy Spirit has tried to move us. And we go, I like it the way it is. And the early church tried that. Why are you talking to non-Jewish people? And Peter went, I didn't do it. I, I just... This is all the Holy Spirit. I don't know what he's doing. By the way, if the Holy Spirit is breaking tradition, you don't have to know why. You don't have to understand the whole thing. You don't have to have it all all sectioned out theologically and know how it's going to turn out. You just have to know that he's the one breaking it. So what happens is you see the Holy Spirit breaking tradition all through the New Testament. As soon as Jesus showed up, he said, I'm the Messiah. He came as a Messiah and everybody went, whoa, broke tradition. As soon as he came, he broke tradition. As soon as the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, it broke tradition. When Philip last week talked to the Ethiopian eunuch, broke tradition. When Peter went to Cornelius' house, he broke tradition. And when Paul and Barnabas left the church to go minister to the whole Gentile world, broke tradition. Every time you turn a page in Acts, it was breaking something that was a standard. And I believe we got to be there as a church today. I'm not saying that we don't, that we don't land somewhere and say, man, this is a really awesome thing for right now. But when God tells us, listen, if you're going to reach people, you got to do it differently. We should all be like, Hey, change it, change it. If it means preaching to people that we've never met before, change it. If it means sending people who, 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 who other churches, change it, send them. The church was designed to break traditions, not set them up. I'm going to say that again. The church was designed from the beginning to break traditions, not set them up. Okay, the last thing. Band's going to come up. The Holy Spirit empowered church sends people. This is only the middle of Acts, but I think this is the heart of the rest of Acts. You get to Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas come back from dropping an offering off in Judea. And when they come back to the church, the church says, we don't want you to stay. We want you to go. 
They weren't, they weren't sending them away because there was a disagreement in worship music. They weren't sending them away because there was a disagreement in the way they were doing kids ministry. You guys are just boring. We have to get you out of the church. They weren't sending them away because of that stuff. They were sending them away because they knew the gospel had to go forward. The church did not rest in being saved. The church that was saved didn't rest until people were sent. Paul says it in Philippians when he writes to them towards the end of his life. He's saying, listen, not that I've attained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Even at the end of his life, he's saying, yes, I'm saved, but I'm also being sent. I'm not saved waiting on a homecoming. I'm saved and then being sent to prepare for it. And we've lost that. I'm not saying necessarily the church as a whole kind of equated it to this. Um, the last eight years I've traveled a lot. I've been, been able to see a whole lot of different places. And here's what I figured out about traveling. I would fly to Kenya and there's always a layover. I ain't got enough money to fly a nonstop flight to Kenya. I can tell you that right now. Always a layover. So you, the layover is in whatever country airline you're flying on. So if you're flying if you're flying Air France, you're going to lay over in Paris. If you fly Lufthansa, you're probably going to lay over in, in, in um, uh, Frankfurt, Germany. If you fly Qatar Airways, you're going to lay over in Qatar. And so I started doing that. If you fly Swiss Air, you're going to lay over in Zurich, Switzerland. So here's what I did. Most people want a short layover, a layover just long enough uh, that you're not going to miss your flight, but short enough that you're not there all day in the airport. That's typically the way it goes. What I started figuring out was on my way back, if I will schedule a really long layover, I can get out of the airport and go visit someplace I've never been before. It wouldn't cost me anymore. I'm flying there. So I would just like, so first time I did it, I landed in Paris and I was like, I want to go see the Eiffel Tower. So I just started, I got off the plane by myself. I hopped on a train. Rode the train in the middle of Paris. I went and saw Notre Dame. And then I walked down the Eiffel Tower and I was like, I'm Chris Jones from Arden, West Virginia. That's where I grew up. I'm standing on the Eiffel Tower. I'm like, I can't believe this happening. I didn't see the ocean until I was 16 years old. I've spent the night in Qatar and ate at the Sukhwakif. I've been to some unbelievable places. But here's why I got to experience that. Because I was willing to walk out of the airport when other people would sleep in it. And I determined this, I ain't sleeping in an airport. So here's what I want to tell you. You already have a ticket home. I had already booked my ticket. I already had a ticket home. I wasn't worried about getting a ticket. I had a ticket home. The only question was, was I going to leave the airport and go see something else? Go do something else? The ticket home had already been secured. So am I going to stay in the airport and watch news all night? Or am I going to get out and go do something? And the church is in that same spot. You've already got a ticket home. You already got one. You, you've got a ticket home. That's not the issue. You've got everything set up. All you have to do do is when you come back, show them your boarding pass. You've already been accepted. The blood of Jesus has already covered you. The issue is, are we ever going to leave the terminal? 
Are we ever going to leave the airport and go into the place where he called us to? Are we just going to sit in the church and wait till he comes back? Oh, I can't wait till he comes back. Can't wait till he comes back. I started saying, I, I hope the plane doesn't leave so early because I want to go see everything. And that's his message to us today. The church is saved, yes, but are we sending? And the rest of the book of Acts is not necessarily about the church being saved. It's the church being sent. Go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And that voice is still ringing true today. And if you will take enough time to slow down, quiet down, and slim down, the Holy Spirit will say the exact same thing to you that he said to the early church. I have called you and I'm sending you. And it may be to your job. It may be to your family. It may be to another country. It may be anywhere you can ever imagine. But he is still calling the saved today to go out and reach the world. And that's his message to the church. Stand on your feet. We're going to pray like that. Father, we pray that you give us the courage to leave the airport. God, this layover, we are here for as long as you want to see so we pray like Paul did. We haven't attained everything yet, but we want to press on to take hold of that for which you took hold of us. You didn't just save us just to save us. You saved us with a purpose. And Lord, we pray every day we wake up, you, we pray you'd whisper that purpose in our ears and that we'd walk out of the airport and we do your calling. We'd be the church you've called us to be. We thank you for it, God. We give you honor and praise for it. We thank you that you've included us on this great mission to let everybody in this world know that you are that you are the only way. That you sent your only son to die for us. We thank you for it today, for speaking to us and confirming your calling on our lives. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, church, because you're giving praise this morning. He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody. Visit one of the uh, team fair tables up there, get plugged in and involved, and we'll see you back here next week.